This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So Cody, you, you're complaining. You, your beard is actually, actually, your beard is, is fuller than it was, but you trimmed it for like a wedding, didn't you? Um, yeah, I, here's the thing. Here's Cody's beard problem. The big one is Cody doesn't take care of it, right? Like the whole, the whole reason for uh, having. Whoa, 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 time out, time out, time out. I have, you're like, the only, there's only two people in this world that I've ever seen with a beard comb in their pockets. No, but you're that's one of them. Like, it's, it's seriously like a, like a, uh, tick thing. Like I'll just do it on one side. The whole, I'll just do it right like this. Like it's like it's a tick thing. I'm not I'm not maintaining my beard with it. And I've got every beard oil, beard cream, because like every three or four months I get all ramped up. Like I'm done with this thing being knotted up and crunchy and na- you know and and I'm gonna take care of it. And then I mean, that lasts like maybe two days. Like is the longest that that enthusiasm has ever lasted. And so then it gets all kind of, it really looks an awful lot like pubic hair, to be honest. It's all curly and, <laughs> and, and, um, 
Steve Smith, what is yours? Yours certainly doesn't look like pubic hair. Number one. Well, I appreciate that. And number two, do you have a beard comb in your pocket? Not in my pocket. No, I just use my regular comb every morning. <laughs> well, your beard is long enough to be able to have a uh, a comb. I see. Well, I'm sure. I'm, oh, there you go. Oh, that looks nice. I like that. There you go. The guy that says he's not a beard nerd, beard nerd just all of I'm a sudden not, randomly has a beard comb on him. I just go like this. It's like a nervous tick. It's like when I'm trying to stop dipping and I haven't had a dip in like six or seven hours, I do this to try and ride it out. That's all it is. Keeps you from getting the shakes. No, it doesn't. It, I, it doesn't work, so I end up having a dip. I haven't, haven't pulled that off yet. <laughs> I'm a real disciplined guy. Well, Steve Smith, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Let me ask this question. Have you have you been on a podcast before? No, sir. First time ever. We'd love it. <laughs> and the reason you are on the podcast is because just like we did last week, and we made a call out. We said, hey, you want to be on a podcast? You want to come on the Blood Origins podcast? You're a listener of Blood Origins. You're a supporter of ours. We'd love to have you. Steve Smith puts his hand up and goes, if you were being serious, I'd like to be on. We're like, yeah, we're being serious. Come on. And then you were just like, mm, are you sure? <laughs> well, I honestly wasn't sure you guys were going to say yes. I thought, you know, like the, the one you guys released this week, the uh, gentleman Rob you had on, like I thought that might have been the tequila talking. I don't know. <laughs> no, I ran out of tequila too. So we won't, come and get, we won't get too crazy this week. But Oh, well. I brought a beer. So. Oh, look at that, Cody. He is coming in with the tall boy. Yeah. At least, what, what do you have? You have something with an umbrella in it? No. I have a, uh, a local beer by Chandelure Brewing Company. Shout out to Chandelure Brewing Company here in Mississippi. Uh, it's a Surfside Pineapple Wheat. And funny story about the I, pineapple wheat. When they first so, started, what? It was, it was so headed towards Manly, and then you ended with Pineapple Wheat. It does sound good in his defense. No, it thank does. You. Yeah, I know. Jeez. I'm, thank I'm you. sure that there's a bunch of 16-year-old girls that would love it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brewery wow, company. Wow, 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 wow. You know, I'm we were kidding. so close to getting Chandler Brewing Company as a sponsor, and now, Cody, you just shot that in the damn foot. No, I, I, that part's a joke. I actually like those but much better than I – like, I like fun beers as opposed to boring What beers. are you drinking, Steve Smith? It's a Voodoo Ranger Juicy Haze IPA. Where, where, was, where is that one brewed? Uh, New Belgium Brewing. Okay. So Fantastic. It's nothing ultra crafty and local, but it's good. So, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, firstly, I'd like to just generally where you're from, what you do. Yeah. So, uh, currently, I'm living in Powell Butte, Oregon. It's... Uh, just a little ways east of Bend or Redmond. Either one of those right in central Oregon. Um, Dude, we were just there like I'm, five weeks ago. I know. I saw that on Instagram. I was wondering what you guys were doing here. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> but, I didn't uh, get to go. Well, it's nice here. You should come visit sometime. Oh, I like Oregon. I just didn't get to go on that trip. Yeah. No, but I grew up, uh, I grew up in Nampa, Idaho. Uh, moved over here about seven years ago. Uh, when my wife and I decided we were going to get married, uh, one of us had to move. So I made the leap and here we are. And, uh, what do you do as a day job, Steve? Uh, I work for a private water distribution company. So we serve domestic water to households. 
um, the uh, underground infrastructure, stuff like that. Um, it's a great job. I love it. I work for an awesome company full of great people. And, you know, I'm one of the lucky few that get to wake up and say, I'm happy to go to work today, you know. Very cool. And we assume you love to hunt? I do. I do. I've hunted. I've hunted all my life. Um, in fact, the, the day I turned 12, my dad pulled me out of school for the day and took me chucker hunting when I could Amazing. get my first hunting license. So, yeah, I've uh, been hunting all my life, hunt elk, deer, anything. We did a lot of upland hunting and pheasant, quail, ducks, any kind of waterfowl. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I grew up, and I tried to not take it for granted, but I grew up doing the stuff that a lot of people dream of for, you know, bucket list hunts. I got to, I got to hunt elk every year out in Idaho. So it was a pretty cool way to grow up. Have you hunted elk yet in uh, Oregon this year? Yeah, actually my wife and I just got back. We were gone all week last week. We uh, backpacked into the Eagle Cap wilderness with our bows. And this is actually her first hunting trip where she had a tag in her pocket for anything. So I kind of threw her to the wolves and we went six or seven miles back in. Um, we didn't end up shooting anything, but we had a couple really cool experiences with bulls bugling and, and getting right in their face. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really neat. Got a couple once in a lifetime experiences and I think I spoiled her. She's hooked on it. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. El Cody, you've got an elk tag in your pocket this year? Uh, an over the counter archery in Colorado. I kind of, my whole hunting season's been a little bit of a cluster, really. I, I, I applied for 26 draws, I believe. Now, granted, that's not true. Ten of them, I just, got, I just bought the point, right, because I knew there was no chance for the timing. So 16 draws that I checked to see if I drew, thinking I had somewhat of a chance to probably not any chance at all. And I drew, I, I, I drew a Idaho mule deer tag was the one thing that I drew. Um, so then everything went into that, what am I going to do really and truly the first time that I seriously researched over the counter opportunities and there's way freaking more than I thought there was. Um, and then I, so I, over the counter antelope opens August 15th in Colorado and I started doing that and I was in antelope all the time and I just got obsessed with a couple of these spots and I antelope hunted, you know, not it's not over, but kind of right through the bugle and, and the, and the big parts. I don't truly have Colorado elk figured out yet. I've only been here through, this is my second season that I've been here and I got married in the middle of the last one. So, um, I went with the thing that I could see where they were at, right? That's what I did this year. And I, so I hunted antelope hard, um, and then it turns out that that season's over and I probably should have hunted elk because we don't have any new antelope meat in the freezer. Well, that's, that's one I have yet to do is hunt antelope. I, uh, it's, it's can be rough to draw a tag both in Idaho and Oregon. So we're still mm -hmm. putting, putting eggs in that basket. If you're a bow hunter, I don't want to, like I'm adamantly opposed to off the record, wink, wink, because we're recording a podcast right now. Give, give, give me a shout. And we have a lot. The over-the-counter archery options in Colorado are astronomical. I mean, that I really didn't awesome. know that. And 
I really didn't know that until a month ago because I hadn't really done any antelope scouting since I moved here. But I picked out, and I got a couple of buddies that are like, hey, go this direction, go this direction. They're still, I'm not, I don't have any good enough friends in a year and a half that they're giving me pins yet, but they're like, southwest, go that way, right? And uh, every piece of ground that I went to except for one, there was antelope on it. Now, so if I was spotting antelope, I was incredibly successful, but getting one in in the freezer was not that successful. Yeah. That's why it's called going hunting, not going killing. That's right. That's right. Steve, let me ask a question. How did you come upon uh, Blood Origins? Um, I honestly don't really truly remember exactly how I got introduced to Blood Origins. I think... Oh man, I heard about, I heard about it on a podcast or saw somebody mention something about it on Instagram or something like that and looked into it and just absolutely loved what you guys were doing. Um, just trying to bridge a massive gap between, you know, not just hunters and non-hunters, you know, and then, but also trying to bridge a gap between non-hunters and anti-hunters and, and, and anti-hunters and hunters and mm -hmm. just trying to get everybody on the same page of what it is that we actually do as hunters. You know, we're not right. a bunch of bloodthirsty animals out there running around. That's very true. I feel like we're, uh, we're punching a little bit into the heavyweight class today. Um, I, I posted, I had, I had to comment on two posts two Instagram feeds today. One was called the Humane Society of America. Um, and that was a little nerve wracking going in there. And they, have, they have a vicious video right now because it's the World Rhino Day today. They have a vicious video of a bunch of hunters shooting rhinos. It's, you know, if you're, if even to a hunter watching it, it's like, it's, it, 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 we know what it is. You know, it's, it's killing something. And to an anti-hunting audience, it's just fodder, right? And they, they, they put this montage together. I don't know if you saw it, Cody, or not. Put a montage together of like four videos, four kill shots. And um, they were obviously using it to raise money. And then the current European Humane Society, Humane Society International, has got a campaign that they have, I don't know how much money they've spent but it's got rhinos wrapped in like packaging tape with stickers, like postage stickers on it. Like we would prefer to see these in the wild than packaged up and posted to the UK. Okay. And uh, there's actually one on a bus in Germany. They've got a big ad on the side of the bus and it pissed me off because I was like, where the hell is our ad? I want to have, I want to raise money to put an ad on the side of the bus of a dad and a son in camouflage walking down a forest road it doesn't even have to say hunting. It just needs to say experience in the outdoors when you're a part of nature or something like that. Just subtle messaging. And no, because but nobody's thinking like that. Nobody's thinking outside the box. Well, you and know. I don't know. And this is not trying to make it about me right now or anything, but that's something I told my wife when we were, we were up in the mountains elk hunting we ran into an experience where we had three bulls within 80 yards bugling and all fighting each other. 
And I'd never experienced anything like that. And it was really cool to get close to that. And I told my wife when we were walking back to camp that night, I said, I'll go home happy right now, strictly because I got to interact that closely with like, like nature in its purest form. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I know that has nothing to do with rhinos like you were talking about right now, but that's, that's the crux of everything that we're out there trying to do. Yeah. Long road. No, that's exactly that, that. That's very much how, but if people ask me why I hunt my kind of quick, I don't want to talk to you much more answer is because I want to be involved in nature, not just observe it. And, and, uh, I, I, you know, I a hundred percent think that, that that's what it's about. And, and you know, and, and I, I honestly don't care if anyone doesn't want to hunt that doesn't bother me in any way, but I think it's the natural thing. I think it's, I think it's the, the thing that human beings have done for 300,000 years or however long that, you know, something became classified as a human being. And, and, uh, no, you're exactly right. I, uh, I had some some of the similar type experiences antelope hunting over the last few days that I was completely happy except for one four second moment that I wasn't happy and the whole rest of the time I was ecstatic about the experience. Well, what was that four second moment, Cody? It, it, listen, so what happened? All he, I heard, all I, I got a text message, fact, he and that ducked, wasn't that was just an African. He ducked my. Here. He ducked my string at 61 yards. He ducked my string and it bounced off his back. Oh. 61 yards, I should have been safe. But he was staring at me. I came to full draw and I'm thinking, okay, do I come off? He's just staring at me. And I'm basically on a soccer field. I mean, I, I, the one yucca that I was able to crawl up behind. <laughs> and he's just staring at me and I made the wrong call. I, I didn't think I did, but. I made the wrong call and he ducked and my, my fletchings hit his back when he, he ducked and came back up and my, he drove my arrow up into the air. And, uh, I was mad at myself. I should have come off and waited till he wasn't looking at me, but I didn't. Well, as we said before, it's just hunting. Yeah. It's yeah. just hunting. Caused me to lay right. in the middle of a field for 45 minutes on my back, trying not to cry, but yeah, it's just hunting. Hey, we all we all are there. We've Absolutely. All, there. all right. A little bit of admin. Uh, supporters program is away for away. We just posted a video about the coolest cutting board and knife holder. Cody, did you see that? Big Blood Origins in the middle of the knife board and custom knife, uh, custom cutting board and knife holder. Super excited about that. Signature Woodcraft out of North Carolina. I did see it. Beautiful. And uh, hopefully we're going to do, yeah, we're going to do some Christmas. I think he was interested. We're going to probably do a limited run of um, some Christmas cutting boards with this little small Blood Origins logo in the in the corner. Raise some money, get some good Blood Origins swag going. Um, So perfect. Anybody wants some T-shirts, Blood Origins T-shirts? We are still, when this podcast drops, is it still September when this podcast drops, Cody? Yeah. We are still in the um, supporter giveaway for September, in which if you sign up to be a supporter, $5 a month, it's the cost of a cup of coffee, people. Come on. And uh, we will send you a T-shirt, an exclusive Blood Origins Helix 
T-shirt. And by the way, Steve Smith, for being a podcast guest, a presenter, we will be sending you a T-shirt, my friend. Well, I will wear it proudly. If I have one, if I have, if I have one big enough for your big muscles and stuff like that, oh. I'll figure that out afterwards. Um, um, fairly average size dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you sign up for being a supporter, $5 a month, we'll send you a T-shirt, a Blood Origins exclusive Helix shirt. Uh, if you're already a supporter and you increase your donation by 5 bucks a month, we will send you a T-shirt. And if you are a supporter and you ask a friend to join and they sign up for $5 a month, they put your name in the comments, we'll send you a shirt. What a deal. It is. It's a great deal. Absolutely. Actually, had not only do you get the T-shirt, you're entered to win all the great prizes every month. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think I've got a Spanish hunt, a Spanish hunt for chamois um, in October. That's very so. That's exciting, and I still have in my back pocket um, an Australian buffalo hunt this year. Oh, Cody, you cannot win that. I may quit my job just to win that. Steve, you're a supporter? I am a supporter. I appreciate that tremendously. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. Couldn't think of a better place to send money. Thank you, my man. Thank you. Uh, lastly, smile.amazon.com. If you're a big Amazon shopper, just go over to smile.amazon.com. Click Blood Origins as your nonprofit. Just go about your business buying Amazon gifts through amazon.com, and Amazon will send us a percentage of the sales uh, that they get from you, but it's Amazon's money. Can't beat that. They got money. We already, me and my wife both already did that, so. Bloody legendary, man. We see, we we (laughs) picked the most amazing podcast guest. Oh, my head's going to get real big. Everyone that asked, everyone that responded to our request, I scheduled them. So it it basically is my, I think all they had to do was send in and it made them amazing, I guess, because we have done great with this so far. One, one, one of them's got to be the, one of them's got to be just like, whoa, maybe we shouldn't have asked, but so far it's not Rob or Steve. Nah, nah, it's just like our Blood Origins episodes. We, ha- we haven't had a dud yet. Not a one. So we edit those. Not a one. We do edit those. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into the articles for the week. Uh, Steve Smith, uh, we sent you a bunch of articles and per our tradition, uh, the guest gets to choose uh, the article that we uh, uh, start with. All right. Um, I think strictly because I got to grow up around them and, and uh, experience them and stuff like that. Elk hunting, I think uh, we're going to go. We had a couple of different wolf articles, but there was two that were very similar. They just had slight differences that I think we'll go with the surrounding, uh, surrounding the wolves in the west of the United States here. I could have made money on you <laughs> picking wolves right. to start with. Right. Idaho guy. He's going to have an opinion one way or the other. Rightfully so. By the way, did you see Glenn Eberly? Uh, Glenn Eberly is the owner of Eberly Stock. Has a ranch, a very small ranch in the middle of the Bob Marshall. Is it the Mo- Bob Marshall? No, it can't be because it's in Idaho. Um, Bob Marshall's in Montana. Frank Church. Um, but he, yeah, maybe. It's a small ranch and surrounded by massive public ground, and he's got wolves. He's covered up with wolves. Yeah. And he said it was almost like a um, dancing with wolves type scenario. He's out there by himself, wolves howling everywhere, and he put down a monster black wolf. 
uh, on his property. That's awesome. Yep. No, I think you ever seen a wolf in Idaho, Steve? I have yet to see one. I've had them real close to me in the dark when I'm hiking back to camp, but uh, you know, I could hear them walking and playing and biting, nipping at each other behind me in the dark, but I never could get eyes on them and heard them howling a lot, but I have yet to see one. My, uh, my dad and my brother have both, both had the opportunity to shoot wolves in the last few years. And uh, yeah, they're, they're an incredible animal. I think they're really cool to have on the landscape, but just like anything, I think they need managed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so the, one article we go ahead, Cody. No, it's just amazing to me that every time that you talk to, okay, let me start out this way. Actually, there are some people in the country that use the phrase, there's no good wolf, but a dead wolf, right? There, there, that, th- that exists. But every time we talk to everyone we ever talk to on this show who are presumably a huge majority of them hunters about wolves, that, that's the, you know, the, to, they, they paraphrase some form of what Steve just said. One of the coolest damn animals there is, right? I mean, their their size and the their ability, the whole pack thing is like mind boggling to me that that somehow they're working together. Um, it, it's I, I don't understand. I don't understand why there's so much animo. I don't like hatred and animosity in this discussion, but I think it's because one side each side really each side focuses on the extremes of the other side right like the 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 humane society folks just focus on that 0.0002% of people who think that there's no good wolf but a dead wolf and then those few people focus on the extreme side of the other one in that we should never harvest a wolf ever and then i think like 92 percent of the world's in some shade in the middle right Mm -hmm. there's just an argument over numbers how many numbers should there be and i uh the thing drives me crazy the argument drives me crazy because the extreme sides are the are the there it's the squeaky wheel thing they're the ones that get all the coverage um and i don't uh is it ever going to end? Are we going to be arguing about wolves? Are my great grandkids going to be arguing about wolves? Probably, <laughs> unfortunately, but probably because I don't know. They they are such an extremely divisive piece of the landscape that we all like to enjoy. And I mean, no, Cody said a mouthful a second ago. I maybe they're not that divisive, but they're divisive among the people that make headlines. And we right. hear those pe- all we hear is those people yelling at each other. You know, I've heard heard it since I was a little kid because, you know, I I grew up in Idaho in the '90s, and that was right at the height of mm-hmm. when when everything was going on about reintroduction or are there still wolves here? Are there not? All that and um, and I just think a lot of animosity strictly comes from the fact that you don't agree with me, so. It, it all becomes a zero sum game in people's minds of 
if you're not for me, you're against me. There's no piece of the pie that isn't spoken for. It's my piece of the pie and your piece of the pie. Whatever piece of the pie I get, you has to come from you. Mm-hmm. And and there's there that leaves no room for middle ground or discourse and discussion, and and nuance. You know the the you know handling of it with you know um, like I said discretion or anything like that, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, some class. But, no, I agree completely. It's a and it's a topic that I dove into pretty hardcore. Um, in a previous job and uh, I've never seen people so, so passionately out on an extreme Island about a thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. And then, then the headlines of, you know, the whole Wisconsin thing. Um, and then Idaho's the way that the media worded the 90% Idaho decisions in the last couple yep. of of mm-hmm. months is amazing you know that they're going to kill all but 150 when it could have been worded idaho makes laws to guarantee that they won't go under the prescribed amount from the original reintroduction like that's what idaho yeah. did they made a law saying we won't go under that 150 that the original reintroduction set as a target goal um but the media turned that into Idaho's going to kill whatever it works out. Ninety-one percent of their wolves this year. No, they're not. Right? They're they're not going to get that done. They're not going to be. It's not, no. not going to happen. I mean, not even going to come close. Good luck. What they did was they were not going to kill more than this amount, and then it was twisted up in a in a horrible way. Well, good luck finding ninety percent of the wolves in Idaho. Mm-hmm. That you you're not gonna have that many people finding that many wolves and once you get and once they start hitting them hard they're gonna get even scarcer they get they get educated very quickly Mm -hmm. very quickly because like i said earlier i grew up you know with wolves around prior to being able to hunt them in idaho and you could hear them howling every night and find their tracks all the time in this drainage that we hunt in in idaho and now, yeah, they're there, they're around, and the numbers have only gone up since then, as far as like statewide numbers of wolves in Idaho, but you don't see them as often, you don't hear them as often, they're, they're very well aware of the fact that, I don't know, I guess you could say they've gained a very healthy respect for mm-hmm. when people are around. Yeah, and that'll just increase Absolutely. as hunting pressure, you know jumps up yeah i think cody that you know the three things that have have really it was already at a boiling point but the three elements that have like reignited the event obviously the wisconsin hunt that went over the quota number one the montana law that went into place to take out 40 percent of the wolves and the various techniques i think the techniques themselves were also the you know the 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 rhetoric that got spun up and then obviously idaho's 90 percent 90% 90% number. So you have three things that went against, went essentially against the management of, I'm not saying it correctly, but they went against this idea of, hey, let's do, let's have a, a proper science-based, well-managed, you know, 
lethal management of wolves on the landscape. Yeah, you think they? Yeah, I don't know if they really went against it, but they were able to be twisted that way, for sure. They were able to be presented that way. Yeah. It, the, the, the way they were worded, it made it sound like everybody in Montana was going to be in some like Mad Max-esque snowmobile rally to start running them over and impaling them with these death machines. And, uh, you know, that's, that's not going to be the case. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and it was, it was funny, Cody, the two articles that you sent me around this were almost verbatim, uh, exactly the same, except the one I believe from Fox news eight, uh, it did leave out a, just a couple paragraphs, just a couple small paragraphs that the other, I can't remember the other agency that it came from, but they left it out. Um, I think strictly for a divisiveness tact because they were both articles touted how it was a very partisan thing. Republicans pushing this and Republicans pushing that. And, I, and honestly, I don't care where anybody stands politically. I'm a, I'm a registered independent myself. I don't really care. Um, but it, 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 it was very clear they were trying to create divisiveness amongst people based on party lines because in, in the one, I can't remember the news outlet it came from, but um, NBC Connecticut. Yes. Thank you very much, Robbie. Um, they did have in there a, a small excerpt where there were two politicians, one from Idaho, one from Montana, one a Republican, one a Democrat, both spearheading the campaign to, uh, it, I think it was initially, it wasn't initially delist, but it was to allow actual hunting and to begin with back mm-hmm. in 2011, mm-hmm. I believe. And then, right. and then also they had a little more, um, a little more discourse and rebuttal from a pro hunting, pro science guided approach to management of the wolves and and i think they did a slightly better job but i wouldn't say stellar job but slightly better job of of at least letting that side say something whereas the one from fox 8 just totally did away with those few paragraphs to to let that side speak it's funny that you point that out it's actually ap right yeah it was it was they were actually associated press articles and then the NBC Connecticut literally just took some of it, but then wrote more of their own stuff is what happened. Cause the AP one is completely on the Fox eight news. So yeah, the, the political, that that's uh you know, it's another part of the world we live in that it doesn't matter. Somebody farts and it's going to get politicized. It's, it's amazing how all that gets done to every single topic, but this one's a very, very polarizing one. And you know, there's another, there's an article on there about wolves in spain too that is that is uh it looks like they're going through it as well um i don't i don't know i guess i guess in the trying to silver lining it having discourse and battling back and forth and finding that happy spot is is something that we're supposed to do um in america and i uh It'll be interesting. I think it's probably going to be a thing that every once, every so often, we're going to talk about for years to come on Blood Origins because it's going to stay at the top of the. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you you brought up the article about the wolves in Spain, and I really enjoyed reading that, um, strictly because like I, the, the the background I come from is somewhat agriculturally based. Like where I live in Powell Butte is 
primarily ranching and farming. And like my, my in-laws, we actually live on a small ranch with my in-laws where, you know, cows run almost year round on the place and stuff like that. So we're very involved in, in the, the, the beef industry. And I mean, I grew up in a rodeo family. We rodeoed forever and that's very closely tied to the agriculture side mm-hmm. of things. And, and the article in Spain, I think, uh, did an okay job of letting people know that there are livelihoods at stake in those rural communities that are dwindling when it comes to these wolves moving in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the divisiveness there in Spain is um, it, it's the same as America. You've got this urban center telling the rural community, no, do not hunt wolves. And you've got the rural community saying, well, we run the, we run the sheep that you love to eat. And yes, Spain has some badass dogs that they use to protect the sheep herds from wolves. But it's the same situation, you know, and, and, and w- this wolf dilemma, you know, Cody said, like, why is it, you know, why is it so divisive? It's just this, it's an alpha predator, man. You look at David Guaman's Monster of God. It's a book that discusses humans' connectedness to alpha predators around the world, like brown bears in the Carpathian Mountains in Romania and saltwater crocodiles in Australia and Siberian tigers in, in, in Russia. And wolf is an alpha predator, and it's something that is in competition with us, essentially. And um, Spain, Finland, starting now in Germany, there's a growing wolf population in Germany. It, you know, as Cody said, it's going to be fodder for blood origins for forever. Don't you think it's possible with those alpha predators that that – I think it's possible that hunters I, – I just used air quotes on a podcast, so you have to tell people when you do it. But I think it's possible that hunters in the past overreacted to the need to control alpha predators, right? Like, I mean, we we wiped out wolves – in, in the majority of the lower 48, right? A bad move, a, a not a management move, an overreaction to alpha predators. So but now really, was, it over, was it an overreaction or was it just a, a, again, a competition for a resource that we, that we prized? The reason I'm saying overreaction because there was no compromise. And, and I, I believe there has to be some compromise, not full compromise. I don't believe that a, that a sheep rancher in Montana has to lose all his sheep. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I hope that he doesn't lose any sheep. But I do believe that if you decide to ranch sheep in Montana, dealing with the existence of wolves is a thing you have to do. Right? I, I don't think that, that you have the right. I think the overreaction comes in. I don't want to have to deal with wolves anymore. We're going to band together and kill them all. That that's where I came up with the word overreaction. I think we're now dealing with the counter overreaction to that. I think we're now dealing with people saying, you know, wolves is 100% the one that they say, if you just let nature handle it. And that's not, that's not the case. It's not, it's not the case because, and it's our fault that we can't let nature handle it, but there's 330 million of us and tens of millions of cattle and probably millions of sheep. I don't know my cow and sheep numbers across the United States, but there's a lot of them. But we, we can't just let nature handle it because they will have no problem continually expanding till there's 
tens of thousands of wolves in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, I think that we're dealing with an overreaction the other way now is what's causing this problem. When hunters, in fact, came out and said, hey, look, the people before us that were, that were killing these animals did it wrong. All of them, right? Buffalo, everything. We, we, they overreacted, market hunted, and, and commercialized it to an extent that was bad for the ecosystem and those species. Um, and I think we're dealing with a counter overreaction now of just mm -hmm. let them go and run free and there be tens of thousands of wolves in the Rockies. So hopefully we just work our way towards some type of a happy balance. Well, you know, Cody, you said a mouthful earlier and you kind of alluded to this a little bit. Um, but the fact of the matter is as people, we, we can't just let nature take its course because we are a part of nature. And we have been since whatever, you know, notion you subscribe to about, you know, creationism or evolution. Again, I don't really give a shit. But ever since humans hit the landscape, we've been a part of nature. And now acting like we're not, you know, even though there are, you know, however many, 330 million just in this country, there's mm -hmm. a lot of us on the landscape. We're still a part of nature. and. And we, we have to treat it like that because just washing our hands of it and walking away and letting, letting things go is going to start just another pendulum swinging that is, is going to be destructive to landscapes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Very well said, but you would not believe the number of people that respond to us with just let nature take its course. And, and, uh, Nature could have taken its course if we were, if there wasn't 330 million people in the United States, that would actually be the way to take care of things. But we've got to, we've got to be involved, just like you said, because we are a part of it. Last word on wolves, Steve Smith. Um, I think they're cool. I think uh, we should let states manage them and let that be that. Perfect. I'm going to take the next article uh, because sort of speaks to some of the rhetoric that we constantly talk about. I quite like the article, but it was uh, featured on CNN. And the article's title is Bush Meat Poaching is on the Rise in Kenya as COVID Hunger Drives Hunts for Antelopes and Giraffes. Um, it's something we've been talking about for since COVID started, that the lack of hunting, the lack of tourism, is has has dried up the economies of these rural places in Africa, and these guys are hungry. And in this article, the one of the titles, the subtitles, is uh, "Poverty: The Rule, Not the Exception," and that is true to the case in most parts of Africa. That uh, meat is king, protein is king. You don't have cattle typically in these areas. Uh, some of them are uh, are able to have cattle. There's no tsetse fly. There's no sleeping sickness. Uh, but then when they do have cattle, they obviously have human-wildlife interactions with things that like to eat cattle, as well as uh, the cost of cattle being so much. And so uh, no tourists, no money, no money, nothing to buy, which means we're going to go poach and we're going to feed our families and sell it to make some money. You know, um, speaking from a, a, a very, you know, um, visceral place, I have 
I have two kids at home. I have a daughter that's six and I have a son that's three. Um, if push came to shove and like shit somehow hit the fan and the only way I could feed my family was to go kill something, be damned with the laws, I would do it. But, uh, I, I think I think that would open up a whole nother discussion of how did we get there? Mm-hmm. You know, how did we get to the point to where, I mean, when, you know, the pandemic started and, and we had the big rushes in the stores on toilet paper and stuff, all the ridiculous stuff people were wiping the shelves clean of, you know, I had acquaintances and stuff like that saying, well, if meat runs out, I'll just go shoot a deer. I'm like, well, it's probably not the best idea, but, um, you know, I can see, I, I've never been to Africa. I would love to go. I would, I would love to go to a lot of places in the world just to strictly see the culture, the way they live, and probably humble the hell out of myself mm-hmm. for the world I live in um, and realize how good we have it here. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to completely rely, like you said, on tourism, hunting, you know, be, be it hunting tourism or ecotourism or whatever it is, especially the villages surrounding these national parks and these wildlife refuges, that they rely on that. That's all there is. And what what other option do some of these people have? And now, now I, some people might be, you know, a little upset by me saying this, that like, what other option do they have? So, I mean, we got to make sure we've got to make sure hunting dollars get back in there. Because that's what supports all. Yeah, it's such a good point. You know, it's 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 a very gray area. Obviously, we we hammer poaching, we hammer on poachers um, in the African context of you know decimating wildlife populations, ivory rhino poaching kind of deal, right? But as you say, push comes to shove. You know, there's a grayness to poaching, which is are they feeding their family? versus or taking that next step, which is the illegal bushmeat trade. And that's, that's really the terminology that's used because then it's being sold on the black market and they're making money uh, on the resource and really not thinking about the resource itself. Um, and a lot of people will say to Cody's point earlier, well, why don't you just let them do what they've done for so many years, which is that it would be not a problem if, again, the African population wasn't burgeoning. Right, the African population wasn't going through the roof. Um, the wildlife resources of the 50s, of the 30s, of the 1800s, as opposed to, in comparison, in ratio to the human population, is 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 you know that ratio is slowly going down. I think just to emphasize, like earlier when Steve said, you know, if I got to keep feed my kids, I don't care what the law is. I'm 100% agree. I mean, across the board, not only that, when it literally, my kids are starving, I'm shooting the first animal I see, regardless of age, gender, Mm -hmm. we're we're putting Mm -hmm. meat on the table. Zero blame on these. I don't think that, like, you could say that Vail, Colorado relies on tourism, right? That could be said. But Vail, Colorado relies on tourism for houses to cost $20 million and a cheeseburger to be for If the tourism stopped in Vail, no one would starve to death, right? People may have to adjust their lifestyle or move, 
but no one would starve to death. And the people of Africa, and you know, Kenya being a a, a really good example of that, that you know, ecotourism only, no hunting in Kenya, but all over for sure, eastern and southern and eastern Africa. People coming over there to spend money based on the wildlife and the management of wildlife feeds millions of mouths. I don't know. For sure, hundreds of thousands. Millions. It's millions. And there's nothing else, right? There's nothing else but to set up wire snares and indiscriminately kill whatever animal walks through it. And no knock on those folks. Like, I I don't have... The bushmeat trade is a thing we should work to stop because it is indiscriminate killing, right? I mean, they're, they're, they, don't, they don't care about the – there's no trophy hunting involved. And, but it's not a thing that I despise like I do the, you know, the poaching for, for – you, you, you can get into the same argument about the actual poacher. I mean, the actual guy on the ground doing the poaching is probably trying really hard to feed his family. Um, the, the market beyond that is a little more evil and greedy, but I don't think people, I don't think everyone has that grasp of, of they rely on this in a way that we don't really rely on anything in the United States. I mean, there's nowhere in the United States that if the tourism went away, that someone would starve to death. Mm Mm-hmm. They may just have to, you know, get a Jeep instead of a Land Rover that next year. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a different form of problem that, uh, and unfortunately, you know, COVID's really emphasizing that in a lot of places over there. Yeah. It's a sad situation, but it hopefully is rectifying. South Africa and a lot of other places are open right now to go hunting. Uh, I know a lot of places that are continuing to, continuing to hunt right now all the way up into November, which is quite late for the hunting season but they're capitalizing on people's willingness to go over there and hunt so steve one day maybe africa africa calls your name i would love to do it i think that'd be fun all right cody give us one more uh let's do the uh here's one that i that i'm just gonna i want to hear your discussion on it robbie steve's as well but the the destroying of uh rhino horns Like let, let me let me give you my amount of knowledge on this because it's essentially one documentary that I watched and me being in, in Grand Cayman Islands, where in the Grand Cayman Islands, sea turtle conservation was a gigantic thing. Someone down there proposed the idea of making a turtle ranch that when you go to it looks like this happy place that you can literally walk up to some you know, a, tur- a turtle that I could ride right now, like these just ginormous turtles, right? And what you really don't get unless you talk to the locals is there's a turtle meat processing facility right behind the turtle ranch, right? They created a white market and nearly, not completely, but nearly destroyed the black market in that region. Not, not worldwide, but, it, but in that region. Um. There's a lot of arguments to, especially with the rhino, because you can harvest the horn without killing the animal, right? There's a lot of arguments to, is creating a white market of rhinoceros horns a valid idea? Again, I watched this one documentary about this guy. He's got 
I think thousands of rhinos yep. on a ranch. Yep. Whom? Whom is his name? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, the guy was kind of a gruff, grumpy old dude, but I kind of got to like him through the thing. So I kind of got on his side. But that was just based on the, whatever this documentarian was showing me. That I don't was know trophy, the right? Trophy. I think so. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And he has, he has, you know, he's about to lose his rhinos because he has just millions of dollars worth of horns in storage, but can't sell them. Like I want to have that discussion because I don't know if the way I feel about it is enough fact-based to be a strong feeling. Well, I think that the most important, the differentiator between rhino horn and ivory is that rhino horn is a resource that comes back. It is a sustainable resource. It grows back. It's keratin. It's what your fingernails are made of. It's what your hair is made of. So every two years, you can essentially, I think it's a kilo a year, or I could be off there. It could be maybe two to three kilos a year that that grows back. But um yeah, it's a commodity, right? It is a is a resource commodity that can be utilized. Um, and, you know, the, the whole reason for the ban of trade of anything is to ensure that the resource doesn't disappear, right? That was the whole point of CITES. It was the whole point of creating this, this system of trade. Now, I'll use an example. Alligators. Alligators back in the 50s and 60s wiped out pretty much close to, to extinction. Who brought them back? Private landowners and the ability to create a market for them, especially in the, the leather goods, high-end fashion market. Massive, massive, massive conservation success story, if not the best conservation success story on the planet. Why? Why did that not succumb to the tragedy of the commons, i.e., hey, let's, there's this market, this high-end leather goods market, the Hollywood Rodeo Drive where you can sell shit for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Why did that not drive um, an uptick in poaching? Because alligator leather is the most tracked piece of resource in the world. From when it's killed to when it's put onto a handbag, they've got a tracking system that you know exactly what happened the entire time. The reason I'm using that as an example is we're not living in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s any longer. We're living in a very highly technological society in that your, your wildlife crime prevention is much higher, but also the technology to track something like a rhino horn, track something like ivory is so much higher. And so, you, and you've got stockpiles of the stuff, right? Zimbabwe sitting on half a billion dollars worth of ivory right now. That could fund wildlife conservation. That Hume guy, I think the, one of the statistics I heard is that he could flood the rhino horn market, double what it currently has for the next five to ten years. Right. And so there's this. Go ahead. Well, and, and obviously, when you make the white market, it's going to be bigger. You know, like there's going to be a few people who right now aren't buying rhino horn because it's illegal. That's that's real. And, and a few and a few will do it. But, you know, I don't uh, th that's exactly the way. I think it's about adding value, whether it's 
whether it's uh bragging rights of a white tail in Mississippi, that's value. It, you know, the, the people that are white tailed deer hunters in North America are not making money at it, but there's, we've de- all three of us have decided that there's some value with the amount of money we spend on it. We're idiots. If we don't think there's some v- form of value to us to go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and adding some form of value to it. Um, and I think that, you know, I think South Africa is probably, you know, the, the numbers there are just astronomical, that they made the animals have, and they're very uh, upfront about it um, in a way that's culturally different from us, that, you know, you go to South Africa and there's actually like a menu, right? There's, I mean, it's like a, like a menu of this is, the value is right across from the animal's name, right? Um, and it's different than the way we do it. But still, it's uh, their their numbers of sky all their animals, right? Like, I mean, I, I think it's a safe mm-hmm. thing to say that compared to 25 years ago, there's more of every species in, in South Africa, um, mm-hmm. and that's it. It seems so touchy with the rhino, and obviously, I don't think it's uh, you no. Know, it's weird how you there's the exact there there's a there's an argument to be had about about elephants, but it would be so much harder to have that argument and some of it logistically some of it makes some of it's logical that it's harder because the ivory of an elephant doesn't grow back right Um, but you know if rhino horn became a white market would 10 other people 10 other ranchers in in africa all of a sudden start would you know but all of, of a sudden, we just we would have a lot more rhinos, right? And a lot For more sure. rhinos that were being kept alive. And then probably Hume would have this old bull who was on his deathbed, and and you know there there might be there might be hunting revenue to be had as well off of that scenario. I mean, it, I will say this to that hunting revenue scenario: Howard not. Uh, place that we went to in South Africa. He has rhinos. He has black and white rhino on his property. Does not hunt them. He cuts the horn off them. He he, he dehorns them. Here's the here's the counter, and you brought it up already. Value. Because you've taken the horn off of that animal, it doesn't have the value any longer for that hunter. Um. Uh... It doesn't have the $50,000 value. It doesn't have the big number value, the $350,000 value. Right, right. There's, there's a... You're right. The value would have to drop. The value would have to be significantly less because the horn is significantly less. But he could... I mean, if it was a, you know... I'd probably give him some cash. I mean, my... Really? You would, you would hunt a rhino? My level of cash for an animal that was the the right animal to harvest, if we were in this situation that we've talked about where there was all of a sudden a bunch of surplus rhinos, not for $350,000. I mean, the bank... Steve, have you thought about it? If you were offered uh, to hunt a rhino, would you hunt a rhino? Um, I, I think like with most things in life, when anybody asks you anything, I think uh, the, the, the patent answer is it depends. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, with the scenario that Cody just laid out, um, massive surplus, if you have taken 
if you have taken the value away from poachers and put the value towards a white market to where, you know, and, and we can get in arguments about how much a white market would actually devalue and, and, and actually displace the black market. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. It's a legitimate uh, it, answer. It's a really, really I, good. Good way I, to dance around a yes or no answer. W- Thank you, Steve. Well, it, it, thanks for saying something that's not a yes or no answer. It's a yes or no answer. <laughs> I, I think r- right now with the way things are, at no, no. You know, I think, um, I think it's, I think it's an extremely touchy subject. And I think there's a lot of hunting I would rather do in Africa. Fair enough. If you were gonna, if I was, if you just said, "Hey, I got a trip to Africa. What do you want to do?" Um, right. I don't know because, and, and there's a lot of people out there like, "Oh, I want to do the Big Five. Great, awesome. That's cool if you want to do that." Um, but yeah, I'm. I wish I could give you a yes or no answer to that. I'll be a yes or no. I don't think I'll hunt Toronto. It just, I, I, it's just not one of those things that I want to hunt. Um, yeah. Is it a charismatic megafauna thing? Like, why is that? Um, I, I just, I've been around them. I know them. Um, they're not, to me, it would be, to me, it's probably not as challenging of a hunt. I've never, again, caveat the hell out of this. I've never been on a rhino hunt. I've been on foot. I've approached rhinos, been around rhinos. Just wouldn't be to me. I don't know. To me, like the big five, definitely buffalo. That's the thing I want. That's the thing I want to get close up and personal with. Um, that's about it. Of the big five, that's that's it. It's the buffalo, man. So I agree with you on that one. I'm not. I'm not critiquing. It's just weird to me. I actually listened to this podcast. But I have no problems anybody hunting those animals. Just make, make sure that's right. Yeah. I listened to a podcast, and I'll, I'll, we'll just say who it was. It was I listened to uh, an episode of Kafaru Cast um, this last week. I have no idea how old the episode was because I kind of just discovered their podcast and was scrolling through. But a guy went to Africa for two months um, with his bow, um, and, you know, was going to was doing everything right was was going for everything and didn't go over there with any list of I wouldn't shoot this in fact he said going over there he'd thought about it and thought I'll 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 hunt anything that's legal to hunt I'm I'm okay with that mm-hmm. um and then they found just went on and on about this massive giraffe right i mean this huge what's a male giraffe called Bull, a bull, giraffe. A, bull. Yeah, yeah. a huge bull, giraffe, and and the and the pH is like you know potential archery world record, guaranteed, guaranteed its potential. Um, and he said, and he and he's uh hunting with a longbow. He so he gets to twelve yards, and turns around, sneaks back out, and says, "I was wrong. I don't want to shoot a giraffe." You know, um. And uh, then, you know, it wasn't some hunting epiphany, went on to, to take 
like 15 more animals after that. But that's a, that's a, uh, philosophical thing I like to think about, you know? Yeah. um, Yeah. No, I'm actually, uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Steve. No, I was just going to say it's a, I read a similar story recently. I'm, I'm actually just partway through Elmer, Elmer Keith's hell. I was there book. And, uh, Right at the beginning, he talks about, you know, uh, I believe it was seeing a seeing a, a brown bear. I don't know if it was a brown bear or black bear, but gets snuck up on there and was going to shoot it and sees two cubs come out. And this was before a lot of regulations around, you know, sows with cubs and stuff like that. And he just backs out and says, I don't want to shoot, shoot a bear so bad to orphan a couple cubs. And yep. and mm-hmm. I think I think, you know, letting letting yourself take over about like how bad do I really want this particular thing? Mm. Don't just shoot something to say you've shot something. It's gotta be, mm. it's gotta be a real thing to you. Yep. But it, yep. Okay. I know Robbie's trying to wrap up cause we're over an hour, but I still think there's another point to this because I don't have any judgment on those that do. Right. No. Right. There's not a single legal animal to hunt that someone goes and does it and I'm like, why? But there are a list of animals, not a list, I haven't written it down, but I, I know there's a couple that I don't think I would shoot even if I had them in the, in the scope or in my peep sight. And that's, to, to me, there's like this maybe get three-quarter drunk deep discussion to have there about what, what is that? Why, you know, I, I don't understand I don't have any explanation for it and I'm not good when I don't have an explanation for my own thoughts, but there's, I I don't judge somebody for any legal hunting that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Never. It's weird. Yeah, exactly. Well, we are over an hour and uh, I am playing Mr. Mom, just like you, Cody. And I did, I gave instructions to the savages that when it gets to, I expect them in bed at eight o'clock. I have a strange feeling they are not in the bed and they are still in front of their switch. Right. So, but Steve Smith, an amazing first podcast, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys for having me. This was a great time. I really enjoyed this talk. Well, we're just, we're just uh, eternally grateful that you are intelligent, articulate, and have uh, good, you know, solid opinions. Never know what we're going to get with first timers. <laughs> well, you're making me feel really good about myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank you for being a supporter of Blood Origins. Uh, as just like Steve, if you want to be on the roundup, just reach out to us info at bloodorigins.com. Cody, go take care of your, your savages and your dogs as well. Steve, did you think it was weird earlier when Robbie talked about your big muscles? That was a little awkward, wasn't it? <laughs> Made me feel just a touch uncomfortable, but. I was just trying to welcome him. Just, I, 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 I apologize for Rob on almost every episode. It's a South African thing, yes. See you guys. Ciao. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. 
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.